0: Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I pastor Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. If you live in the Payson, Utah area, would love to meet you sometime. Uh, If you have any questions or feedback for me, even if you're not from this area, would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or uh, you can contact us through the website. would love to hear from you. But uh, anyway, today we are continuing on, going through the New Testament, and it brings us to Luke chapter 14. On the Come Follow Me schedule, it is Luke 12 through 17 and John 11. How on earth you cover all of that in one Sunday school session, I have no idea. Um, You know, and I get, because I hear feedback from people sometimes, If you heard me sneeze, I apologize. It's just one of those things. You got to sneeze. And uh, there was no stopping that one. Anyway, I hear from people sometimes that, you know, this is more, this Come Follow Me schedule is more of a through the New Testament in a year reading plan. And the Sunday school class, you know, the Latter-day Saints aren't getting together to try to talk about every verse that's in each one of these passages. Uh, But still, I don't know how you teach a class that just even touches on Luke 12 through seventeen and John 11 uh, just oh, in one 45 minute shot or however long it takes I just I just can't imagine that so anyway um what I am going to do today is just get us over to Luke 14 and we're going to focus on two parables that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. And uh, just a a tiny little bit of context for this is that Jesus was invited over to eat bread at the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. That's how it is described at the beginning of Luke 14. And the Pharisees, of course, were the ultra-religious. They were the leaders of religious people in Israel, And this is one of the leaders of the Pharisees. So we're talking a religious leader among religious leaders. So head honcho, big shot kind of guy. And Jesus is at his house to eat. That's the setup here. Okay. And now you can imagine several interesting things could be taking place here. But let's jump on over and see what is the first bit of detail we get about what the people are doing at the banquet. So Luke 14, verse 7, it says, And he, Jesus, began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. All right, so we'll just pause right there for a moment. The guests who were at this leader's house, so it wasn't just Jesus, there were other Pharisaical people, Pharisees, I guess is the right term, (laughs) <laughs> and and maybe they were leaders of the Pharisees also. Uh, but they're invited with Jesus to this dinner or banquet, and uh, you have them fighting over seats. Because the closer you were to the host of the dinner, the more prominent of a role you appeared to have at the table. So you can kind of imagine everyone's kind of getting there and walking into the place where they're going to eat and probably not so subtly i mean it's it's probably not the same as like a black friday scene or the way it used to be on black friday where people just bust the door down that's where that term door busters comes from right it's probably not quite like that but at the same time i'm sure it wasn't that subtle where they're like putting their cloak down or whatever um in the the seat, kind of reserving it for themselves, making sure that they get a nice seat so they appear to be very prominent, honorable people among all of these prominent, honorable people. Which, of course, just boils down to fear of man, pride, worship of self, self self-exaltation. I mean, that's where all this kind of comes from. It, it, It comes from... Seeking to appear one way to everybody and not actually paying attention to the heart, how God sees you. God sees the heart. Man looks on the outside, but God sees the heart, it says in 1 Samuel. So it's ignoring that principle, which uh, of course happens in every culture in every generation. You have that kind of stuff going on where people want to be thought well of by other people. I actually see it in Utah all the time. So that's the scene. And you you throw Jesus into the mix. Jesus is there. And and now you think, okay, how's he going to address that? Because Luke is setting up this parable by saying, Jesus was observing this, and now he goes to tell this parable. So let me read the parable in one shot, and then we'll reflect on it. So verse 8, Jesus said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him and he who invited you both will come and say to you give your place to this man and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place but when you are invited go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes he may say to you friend move up higher then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. All right. So there's another parable Jesus goes on to share, but we'll pause there for the moment. Jesus doesn't just correct the attendees of the dinner who were vying for the best seat so they could... I don't know, puff themselves up, you know, stroke their own ego, build up their reputation among other people. He also goes on to correct the host, because here the host, the leader of the Pharisees, he's inviting people who uh, are also prominent, maybe not as prominent as him, but also prominent, and they will return the favor by inviting him to whatever thing they got going on, and he will get the place of honor there. It's like this country club. You know, you just think of a bunch of rich people, kind of like the, uh, the caricature that we have of rich people country clubs in our minds where people get together and they're all just talking about how great they are as they sip their martinis. And it's all about who you know and um, quote unquote networking, but basically using each other to get ahead. I mean, that's what this is, right? And again, this happens in all kinds of cultures and all kinds of contexts, even in religions, it happens as it was happening in this religion in Jesus' day. And so Jesus is correcting such thinking, really with, with one verse that ties this whole parable together, whether you're thinking about the guests needing to be corrected or the host himself needing to be corrected. Verse 11 is really the heart of all this. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The idea here is don't go about exalting yourself as a man or a woman in the eyes of other men and women. But instead, live a life that is set apart for God, doing life God's way. And entrust Him with the results. That's Jesus' idea here. These people were so caught up in how they appeared In the community. They were so caught up in making sure everyone knew that, you know, they were the religious elites who were to be respected and honored by all of society. They were to be catered to and served because they had earned the right for people to bow down before them, so to speak. Just very nasty stuff. I mean, this is just very, very gross man worship is all this is starts with them worshiping themselves and then demanding others to worship them also. It's gross. It's very, very gross. And so Jesus says, actually, instead of exalting yourself, how about you humble yourself in this life? And the promise is the one who humbles himself before God, doing life God's way, viewing the world God's way, believing the way God has instructed us to believe, behaving the way God has instructed us to behave. Well, the promise is exaltation and it's through humility which is the exact opposite of what we think. We think in our flesh to be exalted we got to earn it. And Jesus says, no, actually going out and working for your own exaltation will cause you to be humiliated. And he gives an example like to the to the guest you know you're working really hard to get the right spot at the table and work your way up the social ladder. What happens when someone more important than you rolls in and then you're told, "Hey, move out of the way. We got this guy here. You you need to move down." Well, then you're going to be humiliated in front of everybody. And the spiritual principle here is, if you're seeking to exalt yourself, like like Satan, I will make myself like the Most High. You're trying to work your way to be a god, uh, with like Satan. Jesus says, that's going to end up in humiliation for you. That's not going to end up in what you have said as your goal. But instead, you humble yourself before the one true God, and he will exalt you. God will lift up your head. And he rebukes the host in the same way. I mean, consider this, uh, verse 12, Jesus also went on to say to the one who had invited him, and then he goes on to rebuke him with this specific instruction. Uh, But but just imagine the scene where you're invited to someone's house for dinner and you start going off on the guests and then you go off on the host. It's like, whoa, whoa, this guy is a wild card. Well, in this case, Jesus is the God of the universe, correcting them on their banquet etiquette. (laughs) And his instruction to the host is, hey, you know, I can see the game you're playing here where everyone's scratching each other's back. Everyone owes each other's favors. Uh, Everyone owes each other favors. They're all trying to get ahead here. You're using each other as like rungs on a ladder. He says, how about you show your humility by instead of inviting people who can pay you back with their own fancy dinners and their own place in society where you can get a promotion through them in the community, how about you uh, take care of those who can't pay you back like the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? And by doing that, you will be blessed because they can't repay you. That's Jesus's teaching here. You will be instead repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is correcting his, this host's approach to quote unquote ministry or quote unquote caring for people or quote unquote religion and saying, no, you, uh, you're actually to make sacrifices. That's the godly thing to do and that will lead to blessing. Uh, To which one of those, uh, not the host, but one of those uh, who was an invited guest responded, verse 15, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. (laughs) It's almost like, uh, did you not hear what Jesus was saying? And this is pretty common. You know, you're talking to somebody and you're actually giving that person some correction in his or her thinking based on what God has said. And you're trying to do it in love. You're trying to do it with humility. You're not doing it like, you know, hey, I'm right about everything, and you're wrong about everything, and we're at war or something. You know, some people think that's what religious dialogue is. But no, I mean, you're just having an honest conversation human to human, and you're saying, look, this is what the Bible says, and you're trying to instruct this person to admonish this person, rebuke this person, in a loving way from Scripture. And that person just like kind of totally misses the point and tries to spin it to to say something that uh, is really a red herring. It's meant to sound spiritual. It's meant to sound like unifying, but it's really actually just missing the heart of what's being said. So Jesus is correcting the guests and the host, And then one of the guests says, oh, the kingdom of God. Won't that be so great? Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Well, then Jesus responded to that with another parable. (laughs) So let's read that too. The parable of the dinner. Verse 16. But Jesus said to him, a man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, He sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. All right, so let's just pause real quick. It's a man giving a big dinner. So probably another prominent man, somebody who has um, the means to throw a big dinner. Doesn't say exactly who this man is in the parable, doesn't give an exact reason, but he's thrown a big dinner and consequently invited many. You're not inviting just a couple people to a big dinner. You're inviting a lot of people to a big dinner. And so when the time came, he had a servant, a slave, go out and say to the invited guests, Hey, it's ready. Let's get this party started. All right. So that's the context for the parable. Verse 18. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. (laughs) And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Wow. Well, another parable about a banquet, or about a dinner, and another interesting principle. Jesus, remember here in in the context, Jesus is sitting in a room at a banquet, and he's telling another parable about one. Just shooting it out there for the whole audience to hear. Apparently, they've got their hands over their mouths, and they're just beholding what Jesus is teaching. And he gives this parable with a very potent correspondence to what is happening. Because Jesus has made an offer to these people in the room. He came for the house of Israel, and uh, he offered them the kingdom. And yet that was rejected. Remember, uh, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah, and they eventually were yelling, crucify him as the Romans put him to death. So, Jesus comes to have a, a very big dinner, and he's inviting the many, and yet he was rejected by his own. John chapter 1, he came to his own, and his own received him not. That's the, the basic idea of what happened when Jesus went out to reach the Jews. They did not receive him. And so, what has happened is that Jesus has taken from them the kingdom, And now he's building his international church. And he's gone out, as it were, to the lame, the poor, the beggars, and he's called them into his kingdom. The adjectives are not adjectives, the types of people, the nouns, they're not adjectives, but the types of people that the slave was to go out to after he was rejected uh, by the invited guests. It says in our passage here, He was to go out into the streets for the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And then, when there was still room, he went out to the highways and along the hedges and compelled people to come in that his house would be filled. So that is, essentially, the idea of what God is doing among the Gentiles. He has gone out to those who were far from God, outside of the covenants of God, outside of... Uh, the hope of God, without hope in the world, he's gone out to the Gentiles and he's called them to come in. Now, of course, there are some Jews who have believed in their Messiah, but it's a very small number so that it could generally be said that the Jews rejected their Messiah. And now God has made one new man, bringing both groups together. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ, and God is building his church. Now, uh, there's a lot more to be said about all that, but that's enough for today. That's what God has done. And Jesus here is just telling these people basically to their faces through this parable that they've rejected him and he's going to be saving others, bringing them into God's house. Wow. Uh, that is that is pretty uh, harsh, isn't it? That's pretty devastating. If they grasped the meaning of this parable, which I'm sure most, if not all of them did not, that is, that is devastating. Why did they reject their Messiah? I mean, if you think about the parable, the slave went out and said to the invited guests, those who knew the dinner was coming, he said to them, it's now's the time. Let's go, let's do this. And they had all these excuses. Well, in the same way, the Jews knew this time was coming. Jesus was prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament. They knew Messiah was coming. They, there was an expectancy for Messiah. And yet when he arrived, it's almost like they got cold feet. You know, if we're thinking about the parable, it's like these invited guests got cold feet. They, they didn't want to cling to Jesus. They, the Jews didn't want to go to their Messiah, just like the guests didn't want to go to the dinner all of a sudden. How could this be? Well, it has to do with worldly thinking, doesn't it? It has to do, again, with the pride of life. It has to do with a lack of perspective of what is important. People like those in this parable who rejected the dinner can get so sidetracked by the things of life that actually don't really matter. They can be just so distracted by the cares of the world that they miss their opportunity to have eternal life. They can be so distracted by their own flesh that they miss caring for their own soul. And this is just a very, very sad reality. People will reject the offer that God gives them in exchange for temporary, fleeting, fleshly satisfaction. That's the struggle that we're in, in this this world. Those of us who are Christians, when we try to communicate the gospel to these people, it's like the good news falls on deaf ears. They don't even understand what makes this news so good, especially if we're in like a rich country, as we are, or a rich state, as I am. People have their stuff. People are distracted by their stuff. They've got their campers and their four-wheelers and their snowmobiles and their boats and their plans for this, that, and the other thing. And life's just so busy, busy, busy. I don't have time to, you know, think about this kind of stuff. I'm just trying to keep my head above water with all my other stuff. (laughs) And there's nothing inherently sinful at all about any of those things I just rattled off or the things that fill our schedule like kids playing sports or going on vacations or whatever. There's nothing inherently sinful about any of that. Yet those things become idols very quickly and people worship their stuff. They worship themselves and they don't want the invitation for something more. This is... A sad sad reality and it was the case for the jews where jesus came and he gave them an offer and they rejected him they rejected jesus so we can kind of have perspective as readers of the bible looking back and saying how could they lack that perspective but the challenge for us is to see where we lack that perspective in our daily lives and to seek to make corrections That we would humble ourselves, because that's, of course, Jesus' call here, is to be humble and to prioritize Jesus over anything else in this life. There are times when I will interact with people from pretty closed-off communities around here. We have some people who have visited our church from FLDS communities, fundamentalist Latter-day Saints, where they still practice polygamy and whatnot, and they kind of have a... A closed community system where they are self-sufficient on their own, and we'll get some people who show up from time to time and will say that they believed in the God they believe in the gospel now that they uh, even are Trinitarian and the Bible alone for their beliefs you know they, they say these things that are pretty amazing statements that go against everything they had been told before this, and my appeal to them is to not make this clinging to Jesus now, Jesus alone, um, not make clinging to the gospel, not make clinging to Scripture alone as the authority a slow process, but to make that clinging, that that magnetism shift, to make that quickly. Because when you make it a slow process, a lot of times it never actually happens. It doesn't go anywhere. You go back to your community and You see your friends and family and everybody you've ever known and all the things that are comfortable for you, and the fear of man really sets in. And you never make that jump to pursue Jesus because you start counting the cost and you say it costs too much. Well, Jesus instructs us with discipleship to count the cost and to go for it. Recognize that, yeah, you may lose your closest friends, your closest family members. They may reject you if you give up this world for the sake of Jesus. If you give up the distractions of this life or the religious system that you're in or whatever it is for the sake of the gospel. that You may lose them, but you'll gain Jesus. And that makes all the difference because Jesus plus nothing equals all you'll ever need. All right, so um, that's the perspective we have to have. That's the view we need to have about this life, is that the gospel is paramount. I will will follow Jesus. I will pursue Jesus with this life and count everything else as rubbish. That was Paul's perspective, Philippians chapter 3. Count it all as trash, as dung, because I just want Jesus. The Jews lack that perspective. Their religion blinded them. The cares of this world blinded them. Are you blinded? Would you today cast all your cares on Jesus and give him your life? Something to think about. Something to think about. Well, thanks for listening today. And uh, next week we'll be back following along in the New Testament to cover... Matthew 19, 20, 19 and 20, Mark 10, Luke 18. I think we'll go to Luke 18. That'll be great. God bless.